This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, in these next two weeks, as we end the year and start a new year in 2022, we'll be focusing on the core of Christian living, one of the fundamental attributes of God, and that's Nahum, or Piar, or Liba. How you say it, Dale? Liba. Uh, amore. Are we getting closer? Agapi. Yeah. Probably heard one of these non-English words before. You know what I'm talking about already. We're talking about wrath. No, we're talking about love. <laughs> we're talking about love. Gentle words, right? We've heard it in our own languages. We've heard it in other languages. We've heard it in music, right? Some of us listen to Spanish boy bands. We've seen it in movies, we've seen it in people around us in Italian, amore. I hope I'm saying it right. And that is Italian. It just seems much more beautiful and affectionate. Right? Same word, but saying it differently almost gives, gives us a different uh, definition of that same word. And so in some sense, the more the world uses this word, the more this definition can be reshaped into what the world wants or how it's perceived versus how the world defines it to be. I like it or not, our everyday intake, regardless of the medium, is influencing us. And so how do we counter that? We go to the living word to actively shape us and transform us to, to be more like Jesus. Right? This is what we want to be about here, helping people know Jesus and grow to be like Jesus. But are we growing to be like Jesus? Are we faithfully following the way of Jesus? Right? We can't talk about love and not talk about God. The two intertwined. Because just as we read, God is love. In the same way we can't talk about following Jesus and not being marked by this attribute of God. Love is a transformative attribute of God. Love is a transformative attribute of God. Following Jesus is a transformative encounter because love is a transformative attribute of God. And what does this mean? If you are following Jesus faithfully, he is continuously changing your condition, your outlook, and character. If you're following Jesus faithfully, he's changing your condition, your outlook, and your character. If you're walking with Jesus, that continued encounter will continually transform us and result, we will be marked by this love. Love that is not from the world, but from God. Those who know the living God intimately through faith, those who believe that Jesus is Lord, those who walk by the Spirit are marked by the love of God. And so, our title for today's sermon is Marked by Love, and will be in our text in 1 John 4, 7 through 12. And we'll look at these six verses. So let's open up our Bibles and give God's word the attention it deserves and let the Spirit stir. And so from this text, I've got a question for all of us, um, an answer that only you can provide, not to me, but to yourself. And it's this, are you marked by God's love? Are you marked by God's love? Are you marked by God's love, Sean? Are you marked by God's love, Jackson? Dan, are you marked by God's love? Got everyone's name in my notes, but can't go one-on-one because the church office is closed next week and I don't want to be here. So 
that long, but I want you to feel the personal ask of that question today. Not if you were marked by love at one point. Not if you will be marked by God's love as soon as you figure a few things out in life. But right now, are we marked by God's love? And this is what I want you to know. Here's our big idea. It's this, God's love for us leads us to love others like God. God's love for us leads us to love others like God. And in these six verses, let's look at three results of being marked by this one love, this love of God. Three results of being marked by love. If you are marked by love, the first one is this, you will love like God. You will love like God. Let's read verses 7 through 8. Follow along with me. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you're not actively in the word, read 1 John this week, five chapters. It'll take 14 to 17 minutes based on your speed, reading speed. I tested it out. And uh, be reminded of the overwhelming love of God. Let that be your love intake from the word this week. But understanding is that John wrote these three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, written by the Apostle John. First uh, John says that he was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was with Jesus. He physically touched Jesus with his hands. He is constantly repeating himself thematically about God's love and being obedient to God through faith and heavily focused on Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, fully man, fully God. And John is writing this letter with a full and heavy heart, expressing his love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Because in 2.19, 1 John 2.19, it says this, they went out, he's talking about the church, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of, been of us, they would have continued with us. So there was a split. Those who were with Jesus, those who were with the faith are no longer in the faith, they have chosen not to continue to live by faith. And, and John is writing, uh, using terms of endearment, right? He starts with beloved, beloved, dearly loved. Writing all of this out of love, his direct statements, his repetitions, his, his calling out, coming from a place of love. So that all these things, is writing to the church, their faithfulness, the church's faithfulness can bring him joy. And in verse 7 and 8, John is declaring that love within Christians is a necessity, but not a suggestion, but a command to love one another. And the reason why we ought to love one another is the next line. For the love is from God. The love of God originated from God. And so if we are God's people and love is from God, we ought to be marked by that same love. God doesn't call us to love in a lesser way. He calls us to love like him God calls us to love like God. Well, this sounds pretty impossible because I'm not God. You are not God. Write that down if you don't know. But ironically, our flesh tries really hard to convince us that we control our lives, that we are God. We're not even close to being God. So if we aren't close, how can we love like God? Well, the text says that whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So let's read this inversely. In order to love like God, you need to be born of God. You need to know God. 
To, to love like God, you must know God. To know God, to love God, you need to be walking with God. The way of Jesus is not love in your own rendition of love. But the way of Jesus is to know God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, and be marked by love through God's love for you. See, it's a transformative attribute of God. It will impact you. The condition of not loving like God is seen in verse 8. What does it say? Anyone who does not love does not know God. They cannot love like God because they do not know God. That love isn't strictly an emotion or an action. It isn't conceptual. Love wasn't created. Don Carson, one of the professors at TED, says this, to love, there's got to be another. To love, there's got to be another. The Bible insists that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father and that it was so in eternity past. So there was never a point where God started to love because God is love. The same thought can be applied to God as light, God is just, God is holy. Before creation, God the Father loved his Son, Jesus. And uh, that's how we ought to look at God as a Father in heaven. Love is God-rooted. Love is God-rooted. And what does this God-rooted love look like? It is unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love. Unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love. God loves us not based on our works or achievements or accomplishments. It's not based on our failures, inadequacies. But let God define his love for you. Let him define his love for you. We take our son to a physical therapist every other Monday. It's got to be four or five months. I don't know how how long, but he was born with torocollis, which is a neck issue with his neck. And um, he's doing great. He started crawling last week, but um, it was tough for the first couple of months. But last week in, phys- in physical therapy, right, we're in one room, no, no uh, walls dividing us, but there's two mats, one for us and one for whoever else is coming in. But in the first couple of months, when, we were, when he was really small, it was rough. He would just, I would just bring him in, and uh, the PT would you know, stretch out his neck, and he would be crying for an hour, and then I would just take him. That was PT for most of the time. But now it's a lot more manageable. He's, he's 10 months. And, and my role is this. When Caden does something, my job is to cheer him on, to encourage so that he can do it again. Right? Some tiny movement, literally just putting his hand over or looking the other way. He'll do his very minor movement and task. I'll be so proud of him and verbally cheering him on and show my love for him. You can do it again. You can do it again. You can do it again. And a couple of weeks ago when I was doing my cheerleading act for Caden, I was not in uniform that day. All of a sudden, I heard someone else cheerleading for Caden as well on the other side. But he wasn't cheerleading for my Caden. He was cheerleading for his Caden. There was another Caden in that room. It was him and his dad. But what was happening over there was very, very different and very, very humbling from what was happening for my Caden. See, I was showing my excitement when my Caden did something. 
There's a Caden over there, he was five, six years old. This Caden, he wasn't able to speak. He wasn't able to talk. He wasn't able to walk. He wasn't able to move. And he came into the room on a wheelchair. The father pushed him. And the father picked him up and put him on the mat. And the physical therapist started moving him around. But with the same love, with the same excitement, that father was cheering him on. Not because his son was able to do anything. He physically can't. But the father was cheering and loving and encouraging his son because that was his child. That's the love of the father that he has for you right now. Unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love. Not because you have done anything. See, we're not even able to do anything. But it's because he sees us as his own. Let God define his love for you. Stop trying to let you define your love from God. See, knowing God intimately allows you to see and experience his love. And if we are marked by that love as his children, we're able to love others like how our Father loves us. Not perfectly, not even close, but in modeling that same type of unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love. God is love. Three results of being marked by love. Second one is this, live through Christ. Live through Christ. Let's look at 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what does this love look like in action? It's in this verse right here, right? And to understand that part so that we might live through him, we need to understand the wholeness of, that, of this verse. God sent his son into the world. God displayed his love to us through sending his son. And we just celebrated this yesterday, right? God sent, and this means more, so much more than a, a single one-time transaction. It's not like when we send a, um, a mail or a letter to the mail and we're done with it, right? God sending his son shows us his love. And so here are five ways that God shows us his love through the sending of his son, and we'll go through this quickly. Here's the first one, the initiative of God through Jesus' incarnation. Verse 9 says, in this, the love of God, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. But God took the first step. He took the first step. This is the only way that it could have done because as we people, as sinners, by choice, if it was up to us, we would never have and never will be taking that step towards God. But it was God that took that first step towards us. And maybe some of us were stuck in this loop that we have to be the ones that fix ourselves, that we have to be the ones that to, to get it right within our own hearts and then go to God. But that's the lie. God has already come to us while we are still sinners. 
to the work of Christ revealed God's love among us. The love that was made manifest among us, a revelation of something that once was unseen was now seen in the flesh. God was fully revealed through his son, Jesus. And it was out of love that God took that first step out of love. Five ways that God shows his love through the sending of his son. The second one, the selflessness of God through Jesus' life. The selflessness of God through Jesus' life. Verse 9, God sent his only We've heard many times how God sent Jesus to die for the world, that whoever believed in him would have eternal life. While this is true, God sent Jesus to also live in the world, right? For 33 years, he lived and walked on earth. And God the Father knew the purpose of Jesus' mission, but also knew how Jesus would live. And Jesus lived a humble life, a righteous life, a life amongst the unwanted the nobodies. He was mocked. He was judged. He was threatened. And eventually he was sent to his death by the people that he came to save. God knew this. God the Father knew this. And out of this love, out of his selfless God, God still sent Jesus to live that selfless life. Jesus' arrival wasn't an arrival of military strength to take over the world. And he came to wash the feet of sinners. He sent his son to live a selfless life because God's love is selfless. Five ways, the third one, the sacrifice of God through Jesus' death. Verse 10, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, right? The love of God is a costly love, it's a sacrificial love. And this word propitiation means averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. It refers to the turning away of the wrath of God as the just judgment of our sin by God's own provision. Tim Keller says, you can't forgive somebody without absorbing the cost. Either that person pays for it or you do. And on the cross, God didn't just forgive us, he paid the cost himself. Christ's death is the means for the saving purpose. It'll be the propitiation we need in order to be reconciled to God. In order to love, there has to be another. And God loved that other. He was, that was his son. And he still sent him to live that life and to die that death so that we may have that gift. That gift is Jesus. We see God's sacrifice through Jesus' death by ways that God shows his, his love through the sending of his son, the fourth one. The forgiveness of God through Jesus' resurrection. The forgiveness of God through Jesus' resurrection. Verse 10 again, it says, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Right? Without the resurrection of Jesus, we don't have forgiveness. Our sins have not been washed away. 2 Corinthians 15, 17 says this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Right? If Jesus is still in that tomb, the power of sin, the reality of death has not been broken. The consequence of death has not been contested if Jesus is still in that tomb. And scripture says that still, uh, sin still uh, leads to death. 
Because when Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit and disobeyed God, when they chose to trust themselves over God, their creator, they sinned against God. And God told them the consequence was this, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They ate the fruit. They didn't die right away. However, what they do, they hid right away from God. When Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God, Genesis says. The perfect relationship between man and God had been broken. They were spiritually dead. However, the sign that sin has been taken care of is that death is not the end. Death is reversed and is overcome by new life through God's forgiveness through Jesus' death and resurrection. So the relationship with God is redeemed through the blood of Jesus. And now, when we hear his voice, we don't need to hide away from him. See, we get to go to God, our Father. The relationship has been restored. We see God's forgiveness through the resurrection of Jesus. The last one is this. We see the, the, the justice of God through Jesus' ascension. The justice of God through Jesus' ascension. God didn't take a shortcut. He didn't just say something and it was done. God loved perfectly while still remaining just. The punishment had to be served, and the ascension of Jesus shows that God's plan worked. God extended his mercy while still being just. And Jesus is now sitting, last then he's sitting next to the Father, showing the completion of his work as we await his second coming. His mercy was seen as an act. His justice was seen as an act. His love is seen as an act. Justice will fully serve through Jesus' life and death, and the ascension is the proof of that. God sending his son is way more than we can comprehend. His initiative love, his selfless love, his sacrificial love, his forgiveness, his just love were all expressed by sending his son. So let me ask you again, are we marked by this love? Are we marked by this love? Are we marked with forgiveness? Are we marked with selflessness? Are we marked with sacrifice? Because this is the model of love that God shows us by sending his son. But we haven't gotten to the second part of that verse, right? We know a little bit now what, what it means that God sent his son, but how does, how does that translate into, like, what does this mean by, by, that we might live through him? But how do we live through Christ? Well, we live by faith. We're we able to live through faith in him, which produces a new life that is of love. Okay, so then how do we live by faith? How do we put that into practice? How do we live by faith practically today? It's this, having the reality of the gospel be the greatest influential impact of the day every day. Having the reality of the gospel be the greatest 
influential impact of the day every day. My family and I, we were uh, supposed to go to Tampa tomorrow. We changed our mind eight hours ago. And so my analogy doesn't work anymore. But uh, we were so excited to go and, and, and um, spend some time together as family in the warm weather and showcasing uh, the ocean. I was so excited that it was impacting the way that I live today. I was looking so forward to, to, to having that time that I was, I was more hopeful. I was more joyful. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be here. So, hey, I love you. At the same time now, I'm not going. That is also impacting me of what I'm, how I'm acting, how I'm behaving, how I'm thinking, how I'm perceiving, especially of tomorrow. But that impact is just a trip. How much greater is the saving grace of Jesus Christ? How much greater is the presence of the Holy Spirit with us? How much greater is being a child of God and being able to be with Him one day in eternity with no more pain, no more sin? That should be what impacts how we think, how we perceive, how we act, how we love. That should impact the way that we live today and every day. That's what I'm preaching to myself, literally, at this time. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says this. The New Testament writes, writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the first death of man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. Church, let's not be distracted from this truth that we, uh, God's people, can live by faith through Christ because out of God's love, God sent Jesus. Let that be the greatest impact of the day. Amen? Good. The result of being marked by love, the third one is this. Love one another. Love one another. Verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John comes back to the main thing again. 46 times love is mentioned in 1 John. He again addresses his people, beloved. At the same time, this is a command not from John, but God is speaking through John. This is a command from the Lord, love one another. A teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
John is saying, now that you are reminded of this love, the love of God, now that you know this love from the Father through Christ, now there's this love that you cannot escape is what gives us hope and it influences us like nothing else. How can we not love one another? If you truly know God's love for you, you will love one another. Out of love to God, we ought to love one another. As one commentary states, adoration must lead to action. Adoration must lead to action. We're not perfect in love. But just like everything else, how do we get better at it? Through practice. How do we become more spiritually mature? We practice obedience. How do we, imperfect people, love like God's perfect love? We practice it. I've got two ways for you to practice it today, this week. First one is love forgivingly. Love forgivingly. Extend forgiveness. Be released of that. Be the first to apologize. Be the first to say sorry. Be the first to serve someone. Don't wait for it to happen. Don't respond out of someone's love for you. Just love them. Let God do the judging. Not waste our time judging people. But let's definitely use God's love that he has for us, that he has extended forgiveness upon us, that we use that out of that, let our motive be loving and forgiving one another. And the second one is this, love inconveniently. Love inconveniently. Love those who are difficult, those who may have a different worldview than you, those who have a different view of what's going on in the world. Right, if there's a relationship that you need to be reconciled with or you need to restore, that's not, an inc- that's not a convenient thing to do. It's a really hard thing to do. We have plenty of things in our lives that we can practice love. Let me say this again. God's love for us leads us to love others like God. And I know... Some of us are tired, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. We're running on a spiritual empty tank. And uh, what I need you to hear is this is not a to-do list, right? This is not a, a, a shame you list. This is not a how could you not list. What I need you to hear is that God sees you. And God knows what you're going through. And God is with you. And he knows you. Most importantly, God loves you so, so much. But if God loves us in this type of love, which he does, we have nothing to lose by loving like him. Instead, it's the opposite. We have so much to gain a greater understanding, a greater appreciation, a greater experience of God's love when we love like God. I know it's it's not easy. I know it's not convenient. I know it's not of the world. But it's from God. God's love for us 
leads us to love others like God. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.